You're asleep on Saturday night, all snugly warm and under a down comforter, while a blizzard blankets cold outside. Were you dreaming? A thud, a muffled groan against your front door. Should you get up and check on it, or roll over and let the howling storm stifle the cry? It is the answer to this kind of question that determines whether we will be called a kind and good person. In today's study, Dave Wurtson takes us to Galatians 5.22, where we will discover what Paul meant when he said that the fruit of the Spirit includes kindness and goodness. He graduated from college with a degree in music. He was ordained as a Presbyterian minister, and then he did graduate work. A lot of people don't realize that he did graduate work in child development. After graduation, he went to work in NBC in New York, and he was assistant director for programs like The Voice of the Firestone Hour. And later, he became the floor director for the Lucky Strike Hit Parade. Some of you that are my age remember that. And the Kate Smith Hour. You have to be a little bit older than me to remember that. And the NBC Opera Theater. He was actually born in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, 40 miles east of Pittsburgh. And his full name was Fred McFeely Rogers. From 1968 until his death, In 2003, millions of us knew him daily as Mr. Rogers. Three generations of children spent an entire hour every day with Daniel the Striped Tiger, with King Friday the 13th. What was the name of the owl? X, is it 10 the owl or X the owl? Anybody remember that? X the owl, right? It's the Roman numeral 10. Henrietta Pussycat, remember her, and Lady Elaine Fairchild, and of course, Mr. Rogers. How can you forget him coming out every day, you know, putting on his sweater, and he was the epitome of kindness. When you think of kindness, don't you think of Fred Rogers, gentle, courteous, mild, considerate. Fred Rogers lived this fruit of the Spirit. He was like Jesus, and this explains why children loved him. But it's hard to picture him. As I think of Mr. Rogers, it's a little bit hard for me to picture Mr. Rogers Joining Jesus and driving the money changers out of the temple. What do you think? It's just that those two pictures don't fit well for me. So the basic idea is, did Jesus simply lose it? Did he lose it when he got angry in the temple? Did he jettison his kindness for a bad temper? Or is there a steel backbone that that's going to accompany kindness to keep kindness from becoming too soft? Are there times when to act in tender kindness? Think about it. There are times when if you act in tender kindness, that that can mean that you forfeit doing what is good. That's what we want to think about today. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about this Holy Spirit producing the self-sacrificial love of Jesus in our life. We've learned that he wants to produce joy in our life. He wants to give us peace in our life. We've talked about long-suffering, learning to be a patient person, Today we want to talk about becoming a kind and good person. And so let's look, first of all, what is kindness? If you go to a party, let's think a little bit about kindness. What is it? Where, who's got it? How can we get it? If you go to a party, think about it. Think back over this week. You go to a party and you meet someone who takes you under their wing and befriends you. You say that you met an unselfish person who actually cared for others. He was, tell me, kind. You go to a party, somebody takes you in, they're kind. You come to church this morning, and somebody takes you in, they're kind. Let's suppose your teacher, your teacher accepts your excuse that you, couldn't take the, that you couldn't take the test because you had three papers due in all your other courses. You applaud the teacher's kindness, okay? 
If your doctor takes time, you're sick in the hospital, you know, you feel like you're on your last legs, and their doctor actually takes the time to sit on your bed and explain to you what's wrong with you and what she's going to do to get you out of the hospital and get you well, you'll tell your friends when you are well that you, your doctor is sympathetic. They're kind. That's what it means. She's a kind doctor. The opposite would be an inconsiderate and mean doctor. None of us want one of those, okay? In fact, you probably didn't know it, but our English word kind actually comes from the word that means to be natural or it means to be native. Now, I don't think that natural and nativeness is, uh, is native to me, but interesting enough, that's what the word actually comes from. And in the Middle Ages, it meant to be well-born. It meant to be a blue blood, in other words. And the basic idea was that you were, if you were born from a good family, you were supposed to be a considerate person. You were supposed to be kind. And that's how in our language the word kindness actually means someone that treats you with courtesy, someone that treats you with tenderness. Back in Jesus' day, they had the same idea. We think about Jesus and, the, and living back in the first century. The Greek language that he spoke fluently actually had the, basically the same idea. In fact, just to have a picture of kindness, the literal meaning of the word that's used by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 about the word for the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, it's a word that means to be mellow. In fact, it was a word that was used of wine that had been aged. For example, in Luke chapter 5, verse 39, it talks about the good wine, and it means wine that has been mellowed with age. It's been softened with age. or become fermented with age. And so when it's, used, when it's used in a description of a person's character, the word basically begins to mean generous, friendly, and a mild person. So you all have an idea that this is a positive thing. But interesting enough, just like we understand what I've been sharing with you, it's hard to picture Mr. Rogers becoming a person that would drive the money changers out. The Greek word that's used for this fruit of the spirit of kindness in secular Greek was used in a negative way at times. Not very often, but sometimes. For example, if a judge let a vicious criminal off, they would say that the judge stretched kindness too far, and he actually became a judge that was not really just. He was kind, but he wasn't good. And so that's what I want you to think about. It's interesting, I find, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, as God's Word always does, it always keeps a balance. So in the New Testament, as we turn to the Apostle Paul, we begin to think about what he thinks about when he thinks about kindness. And he will say things that, in fact, that our entire salvation flows from our kindness. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3. Turn to Titus chapter 3 because there's some tremendous insights into what the Apostle Paul feels about this fruit of the Spirit of kindness, and it relates to your salvation. In fact, every one of you are forgiven today. If you've come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you believed in him, you've all come to know Jesus because of his kindness. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, But when the kindness of, and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy he saved us through the watching of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Apostle Paul is actually claiming that we are saved because the kindness of God was poured out to us. I find it interesting that this is in the context, if you look earlier, it says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and to authorities. So this is all in the context of when Jesus comes into your life, you're supposed to be respectful to authorities. 
Policemen, judges, government officials, when they think of a born-again believer, they should think of someone who is an obedient subject, a person that will put themselves under Jesus is the, uh, the, the government's authority. That's why Paul says in Romans 13, obey the powers that be. I'd say we have a lot of work to do in being obedient. It doesn't mean that you're not involved. It doesn't mean like you're in a democracy, so you need to be involved. The Lord said to be a good citizen. You need to do that. But as we do that, it's very important for us not to be disrespectful. It's important for us not to be disobedient unless the government is asking us to do things that contradict God's will. So I find it very interesting that in this context of people that have experienced the kindness of the Lord, they express it in being an obedient people. It says that we need to be ready to do whatever is good. We're to slander no one. We need to be really careful not to slander someone or tell lies about them. It says we need to be peaceable. That's going to be another fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit that we looked at, love, joy, and peace. We're to show true humility towards all men. How many of you would say that you read those verses, if you ask your unbelieving friends, describe an evangelical believer, how many of them would describe an evangelical believer as as this considerate, kind, obedient, loyal citizen of the United States? How many of you would say that would be true? I'm afraid not. I think Satan's done a great number on this, and that's why what I'm talking about this morning is so important. We've got to let Jesus express his kindness to us so that we express kindness to other people because I think often we come across as angry, vindictive people, and that's not going to attract anyone to Jesus. And if we really believe what we believe, the only chance people have is to come to this incredibly kind Savior. And that's when Paul reminds us, remember, you need to remember when you're unbelievers. Look what he says. At one time, we too were foolish. We too were disobedient. We too were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, and we hated others, and we, were, and we hated one another. That's what life is like without Jesus. And what the Apostle Paul tells us is very interesting. You need to remember. Now, it's hard for me to remember before I was five years of age before I came to know Jesus. And that's true of some of you that were raised in our church. But all of you can look at the dark side of your personality and you can see a part of you that is divorced from Jesus that does have this hating one another and being hated and having envy. So all of us can identify with those things. The Apostle Paul says, in other words, that as a born-again believer looks at the unbelieving world, they're supposed to remember what it's like not to understand God's kindness. You need to understand that unbelievers are angry. They think that God hates them. That's why they curse him. They think that God is out to get them. That's why they search for their own desires to be filled in their own ways and all different, following all different kinds of pleasures. You need to look at unbelievers and see that's what it's like not to have Jesus in your life. If you're a born-again believer and you've had Jesus in your life from the time you're small, One of Satan's biggest ideas that he'll try to get across to you is that you really haven't found where real life is. You haven't found what it means to really be alive. And that's the biggest lie you could ever be told. You're you're also told that being with Jesus is just being under a bunch of rules and regulations and bondage. Just the opposite is true. If you've come to Jesus, you've met the ultimate kind person. Mr. Rogers, all the kindness that he had was a gift from his Savior. That's the truth. And I believe that deep in your soul that you don't believe what Leo DeRocher says. I don't think that you want to live in a world where you believe that nice guys, kind guys like Mr. Rogers, finish last. How many of you want to believe that that's the truth? 
Now, some of you might have become so cynical that you think, well, to be honest with you, kind people get mowed over, and I'm not going to do that in business. And that's going to be a big challenge. Some of you that are business people, if you listen to me this morning, and you hear one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and you go out into the business world and you're mean, then you become part of the kingdom of darkness. In fact, you're driving people away from Jesus. If you're a mom and dad, and your kids aren't raised with a kind mom and dad, then you're driving your kids away from Jesus. They'll easily conclude this whole thing is a bunch of hypocrites, hypocrisy. This is really, really realistic stuff. You've got to decide in your life whether you believe that in the long run, Jesus, who is kind and who is good, is going to win. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Leo DeRoche is right? Nice guys, in the end, finish last. I got news for you. In Satan's kingdoms, nice guys finish last. But I want to tell you something. Satan has lost. And in reality, in the end, the world's going to be filled, the universe is going to be filled, not with meanness, but with kindness. And if you become so cynical, I want you to know that you're living in an unrealistic world because my Savior wins in the end. And what's going to overcome your meanness, what's going to overcome your hate, what's going to overcome your unkindness is when you open yourself up and let Jesus pour his vertical kindness, his life-giving tenderness into your life. And that's what Paul is saying, the verse that I just read, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appear. Notice it doesn't say just that Jesus is kind in that verse, but it says that God the Father is kind. Some of you think that God the Father is not very kind. You think of a father, the Father God, being mean and vindictive, and he's out to get you, and he's very judgmental, and he's very hardened, and Jesus woos him. Jesus works hard to get his heart to turn away from this coldness against you, and somehow Jesus gets him to respond. Some of you that are from a Roman Catholic background, you have a basic idea. You need to talk to the kind Virgin Mary. Because the kind Virgin Mary can petition her son, who is more distant from you. He's the divine son. And she can petition the son to petition his father. And I want you to understand that you need to open your heart to let the revelation of God speak to you. The Roman Catholic Church is saying today, you need to read the Bible. And therefore, you need to read carefully what Titus 3, 4 says. It doesn't say that you've got a mean heavenly daddy. It doesn't say that you need the kind Virgin Mary to make the hateful and angry God of the universe somehow respond to you. Notice it says, when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, your daddy in heaven, is just as much your Savior as his precious son. It's their plan. They're unified. They're the triune God. They're one. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been involved in kindness and in bestowing love from the beginning of time. Is God angry against sin? Yes. Really angry against sin. More than I could ever describe to you. Because sin destroys you. Sin takes you away from kindness. Sin takes you away from goodness. Sin will destroy you. But the Apostle Paul is telling us that that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from the beginning of time 
had it planned for them to bestow their kindness and the gift of the Son of God. And when Jesus was born on this earth and when he was born in Bethlehem and as he moved among the people, if you were to ask people, is Jesus kind? They would say, you bet. That's why little children came to Jesus. Little children came to Jesus because he was kind. If little children don't come to you, then you need to think hard about this gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus wants to give to you. I went last Monday to Blythe, my first granddaughter, three years of age, went to her class with her. She's in a preschool program. There's uh, some special kids that are in her class. And Blythe has probably got some of the greatest needs in that class. We actually went on a field trip to, uh, to the HEB. Now, who would ever imagine that? And they showed the kids live lobsters, made them all put plastic gloves on. They had about 60 kids, those poor lobsters. They had 60 kids petting live lobsters, and they explained to them all the food groups. It was actually a very cool field trip, and then we went to a park. Little Elizabeth is in Blythe's class, and as we get ready to get on the bus, I'm walking there holding on to Blythe. She's my granddaughter, and little Elizabeth, who's about that high, grabbed a hold of my hand. And so I had two kids that I walked out to the bus with. That was a great gift. She didn't know me at all, but she wanted to hold my hand. Now, there was a day when I wasn't anywhere near kind. Like when I played quarterback and a linebacker plastered me, man, my next thought in the next play, I'm going to run the biggest fullback I have right over that guy's you-know-what. And coaches even told us, you need to get mean. But the Holy Spirit's not like that. It's nothing wrong with being in a competitive game where part of the game is to be strong and powerful and to enjoy that. But I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is making it as I grow older in the Lord. Now, not always there, but it was what a special gift that little Elizabeth would grab a hold of me, and she wasn't afraid because she sensed something was okay. It was safe because there was the kindness of the Holy Spirit. That's what I covet for every one of you, and I covet it to keep growing in my own life. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. When the kindness and love of Jesus appears, he saved us. And notice that kindness is related to grace. If you're not a kind person, you're living by justice, and that will make you angry. Because in Titus chapter 3, kindness is related to mercy. It's related to grace. It's related to the fact that we don't deserve what we get. And that makes it even more joyous because we realize, man, I deserve God's justice and his legitimate anger against sin. But instead, he gives us his his Savior died in my place. And then notice it says in these verses that, that we're not only saved by Jesus the Savior, he not only gave us this new birth, but he has poured out upon us generously. And it's like Paul is just, he's saying, the Holy Spirit was poured into your life. So if some of you don't think you have the Holy Spirit, you need to read carefully these verses. It's saying that when you were reborn, that's the word that's used there, when you were regenerated, when you trusted in Christ, it says that God didn't just give you a little bit of his Holy Spirit. It says he gushed the Holy Spirit on you is the way I like to think about it. He just poured you full of the Holy Spirit. So the foundation was laid in your life for kindness. I just love Titus chapter 3. What a picture. What a picture. The kindness of of the Lord in that. 
Now, this is far from a human kindness that grows steadily. You think about it. We think of, of human beings, you know, we kind of slowly experience and we kind of age with time, and eventually we learn that maybe nice guys do do a little bit better, nice girls do a little bit better. Paul's not talking about that. Paul's not talking about us conjuring up our own kindness. He's talking about us responding to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Lord Jesus to fill us with God's love. I've been speaking to you about the kindness of Jesus that was poured out when you were saved. The fruit of the Spirit is talking about the kindness that the Holy Spirit is trying to pour out in you. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 actually says that you've been born again so that the Lord can show his kindness to you forever and ever and ever. It says, to the praise of the glorious grace in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that your heavenly daddy forever and ever and ever has saved you so that he can show his kindness to you. So if you think you're not loved, if you think you haven't experienced kindness, boy, you need to take Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. You need to think about it deeply. Don't, unbelievers don't have this kind of thing. I want you to understand. Our culture, and, and it's not saying that unbelievers can't do some kind things, but as I've been thinking about it this week, it's, it's not saying that you might have an unbeliever, that you won't have an unbeliever this week, you know, help you with a flat tire or come and visit you if you're sick. It's not saying that fact. In fact, unbelievers will do a lot of kind things because the scripture says that we're made in God's image and that he pours out his common grace. And he, he causes us as human beings, even when we're falling away from him, to still manifest some of his character. But I want you to know something. If, you, if an unbeliever looks deep in their own soul, and if you and I look deep in our own soul without Jesus, we don't find kindness. And that's very important to understand it because our culture doesn't believe that. The kindness of an unbeliever, in fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, that there is no one who seeks God, there is no one who is good, and the word that's used to translate a verse from Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is quoting at the conclusion of his argument in Romans 3 that all of us don't have innate kindness. And here he uses the word kindness of, of very much related to the second word we're going to talk about today, which is goodness. Kindness and goodness are like kissing cousins. They're like sisters. And what Paul is saying is that without Christ, in the end, the bottom line of our heart is not kind, and it's not good. Therefore, that drives us. In fact, you know, that's really building in the Old Testament. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, the wise sage in Ecclesiastes, kind of a, a you know, tell the truth kind of a guy this is the way life really is he says i've come to the conclusion that there is no one that does good the old testament was very strong on the idea that it's an idea that you need to think carefully about our culture tells you a lot that you're innately kind you're innately good and you need to let these qualities out of you the new testament says no way jose it's saying if you look deep in your soul you're not kind there's a real hate person there an unkind person that's there and the Apostle Paul is very realistic about this, building on the Old Testament. But in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about the fact that, and it's very similar to this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul talks about a new life that you have. Notice, let me read that verse to you. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, in other words, as the ones that God has selected, as the one that God has chosen to be part of his family, you have now become holy because of Jesus' presence in your life, you're greatly loved. This is all related to kindness. Then he says this, put on, and it's like you need, you used to have filthy rags. 
Isaiah talked about the fact that you, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it talks about you having all your acts of kindness, all your acts of righteousness are like filthy rags when compared to what God really required in your life. And what the New Testament does is give you the answer to that. And Colossians 3 says this, put on compassion, put on mercy, and here's our word, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience. What does that sound like? It sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And it is, because the Apostle Paul is talking about this new spiritual clothing that you've received in Christ. An interesting thing is, when, if I were to ask you, in fact, I ask a lot of people, how many of you think of the Apostle Paul, just think of the Apostle Paul, picture him. Do you picture the Apostle Paul being a kind man? A bunch of you are shaking. It's really interesting that almost all believers, when I ask them, they think, how many of you think of the Apostle Paul being an accurate man theologically? How many of you think of the Apostle Paul being strong? How many of you think the Apostle Paul was uh, true to the Lord Jesus, like a, a patient, enduring follower of Christ? But you don't think of him being kind, do you? And that's that Satan's really done a number on us. Now, it's true. Before Paul came to know Jesus, he wasn't kind. In fact, he took you guys like you, and he beat the you-know-what out of you, and he put you in jail, and he even killed some of you. So he was mean. In fact, self-righteous religious people are mean. Take my word for it. The worst person you can ever get close to is a person who's religious without grace. Watch out. I'd much rather be visiting in the Bill Glass crusade in a prison with some guys that are just downright filthy, dirty, rotten criminals because things are straight up. In fact, they'll even be kind to me in the lunch line. Tell me, don't eat this. You know what? <laughs> but religious people, religious people, when you get close to them, without grace, are not kind. That's the way the Apostle Paul was without Jesus. But I want you to know something. When the Apostle came to know Jesus, like when he told you, if you'll walk by the Holy Spirit's power, you won't be controlled by the act of the sinful nature. You won't be controlled by hate anymore. You won't be controlled by anger. You won't be controlled by violence. He meant it. And you could say, well, Paul, do you demonstrate this? You know what the Apostle Paul would say? Yeah, and in fact, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, the Corinthian church, Paul was the daddy of that church. Kind of like Mary and I came here and the Marys came here in the early 70s. And like, it, whatever I did in my life and whatever Mary and I did together in our life, this is our church. In a good, I'm using that in a good sense. This is the place where we were used to the Spirit to give birth to a church. So you guys are special to us, no matter what the years might bring. The Corinthian church was like that to the Apostle Paul, but they, unlike you all, they rejected Paul. They wrote hate letters to Paul. They told him to get lost. They had some really powerful young apostles, supposedly. They came to the church. Uh, they were much more fluent. They were much more powerful speakers. Paul kind of, you know, was hesitant in his speaking ability. Great writer, but not nearly as good with oratory. So they threw him out. They didn't like him. And they told him they are going to follow these new apostles. And the apostle Paul, in writing 1 and 2 Corinthians, has to correct them. He has to woo them back. And you know the way that he does it? He says, remember the way that I lived among you. And he not only talks about, you know that I worked hard. I was a hard worker. 
He says, you not only know that I was persecuted, you know that I was shipwrecked and all kinds of things. I have demonstrated your faithfulness. It's kind of like Seymour Ashley that ministered in Lois so long in the southern Philippines. Seymour can demonstrate his commitment to Jesus. I mean, he has hid under the bunk in his bedroom with bullets flying over their head because he loved Jesus. In other words, he's a faithful man. That's the way the Apostle Paul was. So we've got it like an Apostle Paul in our midst that risked his life for the gospel. There's others of you that have done that. But you know what? The Apostle Paul talks not only about his courageousness and his hard work, but he says, I was kind among you. Paul could use his kindness as an argument that you need to come and listen to me. Now, you need to remember that. The Apostle Paul actually was a tender, kind person. So you need to become part of a group of believers that builds on the witness of the first century. Not our ideas. The Apostle Paul really was the kind man. Now, Mr. Rogers has gone to heaven. So one of the things I want to get across today is we need a whole lot of you to go out this week and be like Mr. Rogers. We need some really kind people. We need some people that will have that tenderness, that will minister to children. Kindness is one of the most important fruit of the Spirit that we need in ministering to kids. But kindness always needs to be connected with goodness. Because some of you are really kind people, But if one of your friends is falling into sin, you struggle with it. You have a really hard time confronting them. In fact, in this group, those of you that have the gift of the spirit of kindness and you're mild, if you see someone really messing up badly, your tendency is to let it go. I want to show you another another problem with the gift of kindness if it's not connected with goodness. If you're confronted with an evil person, they'll con your gift of kindness to enable them to keep doing evil. The ultimate expression that I've often used with you, the ultimate expression of this is when the prime minister of England went to Munich and sat across the table from Hitler. And Hitler said, if you'll let me take Czechoslovakia, if you'll tell them not to fight, if you'll tell them to leave their arms down, I promise I won't take any more of Europe. And the Prime Minister of England at that time, unlike Churchill, who came to power right at the dawn of World War II, the Prime Minister of England didn't believe that people were bad. He believed that you needed to be kind, you needed to be mild. And he came back to London and hollered out, peace in our time. And German tanks blitzrig through the mountains, mountains very similar, mountains that I've seen, and they're just like the Adirondack Mountains that I was raised in. And I got news for you, a very small group of Czechoslovakians holed up in those mountains with heavy artillery that was planted there. If they were allowed to shoot, there might not have ever been World War II because the German generals said that they would have resisted. The Allies would have let them resist. They were going to take Hitler out. But instead... A kind man, quote, quote, wasn't good. It was not good to tell innocent, good people not to defend their homes. And that's where kindness becomes sentimental. And that's why we need to look quickly at the second for the Spirit. The Apostle Paul uses this word only a little bit. In fact, the word for goodness he uses only about three or four times in the New Testament. And one of the things you need to think about is who determines what is good. 
In fact, one of the most important questions that you can decide in your life is who do you think determines what is good? Let me just give you an idea of what I'm talking about. In 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States said it's good if you're a woman and a little embryo begin to develop in your, in your womb, it's good for you if that's going to hinder you, if that's going to hurt you, if that's going to take something away from you, it's a good, good thing for you to eliminate it right up until the time that it's ready to be born. Even late-term abortions are labeled by many in our society as good. Interesting, the majority of our society says, no, it's bad. Now, who determines whether it's good or whether it's bad? Our kids, our high school kids that go to school this week, there's a whole bunch of people that will tell them, not so much in Midlothian, but they'll probably hear it. I promise you, you'll hear it when you go to a second university. A whole bunch of teachers will say that if you, it's a good thing because teenagers are going to have sex. You need to give them all condoms, and then you need to tell them all about antibiotics. In fact, it's a bad thing not to do that. There's a whole lot of you that call, oh, no, you know, that's not true. We need to tell them, no, it's not a good thing. You don't want to have premarital sex. And sure, we know that we have terrible passion. It's hard for us to resist. And that's why we need Jesus. Because he helps us to live lives that will be healthy and helps us to use sex the way he wants us to. A whole bunch in our society are totally divided. Condoms on one side, no condoms on the other. Who decides what's good? I could go on and on and on. Marriage. In Texas, you're, you're laughed at across the, you know, the many states where I was raised. You're, you're, you're ignorant. You're bad. Don't you understand that you've destroyed the civil rights of, of a million homos, of millions of homosexual people? How could you be so bad? Well, who decides the answer to the question, what is good? One day, a young man came to Jesus, and, and, and this young man says, what do I have to do? It's a big question. What do I have to do in order to get to heaven? And Jesus says something really interesting to him. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. Now, Jesus wasn't calling into question his divinity, but Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying that when it comes to who sets the standard, that you need to get connected with God. Because what the Bible's saying is that your revealed the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, in the ultimate scheme of things, he determines what is good. And therefore, he determines who the good guys are that get to go to heaven. So Jesus tells the rich young ruler, he says, okay, if you want to go to heaven, and then Jesus says something that blows my mind. It's what I hear all kinds of people. You ask the average person how you go to heaven. They said, you get to heaven by being good. What do you mean by being good? They say, well, you need to be a moral person. You need to obey the commandments. So Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to obey the commandments. And the young man had the audacity of saying, Rabbi, I've kept all the commandments from the time I was a little kid. Now, as a good evangelical, I would have taken out my whip and just wiped the guy out. I mean, that would have been, how ignorant can you get? And that's where I need to learn a lot about Jesus' kindness. He didn't get mad at him, but he looked at this rich young ruler and says, okay, in essence, I can paraphrase it so you'll understand what Jesus is doing. He says, okay, you claim to obey all the Ten Commandments. Well, let's just take two of them. We'll take the first one, and we'll take the last one. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and the first commandment says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and the last commandment says, don't covet. Jesus says, okay, just sell all of your stuff and come and follow me. 
And the rich young ruler walked away because he wasn't good. When he walked away, he showed, I don't love God with all my heart, with all my soul. I love my own God, which is my money. And I'm going to desire my money, and I'm going to hold on to my money. And the very second person of the Trinity invited me to come and walk with him, invited me to come and live with him. And the second person of the Trinity invited me to be his follower, and I said no. And I walked away, and I chose money. How stupid can you get? You know what the rich young ruler should have done is what a lot of you did. The rich young ruler should have got down on his knees and he should have said, you know what? I can never do that. I can't be good in my own strength. And I love my money more than you can imagine. And I can't even get free from my... Money is my God. It has such a hold in my life. It's the key to my identity. If I don't have my money, I'm not going to have anything. And I need your help. And Jesus would have pointed him to the cross he was going through in just a few months and years, few, a little bit longer, and Jesus would hang on the cross. Brethren and sisters, if you're going to understand goodness, you need to understand that without Jesus, you're not good. You know, I heard a popular preacher on a, on a program on the radio that goes out to me and the people. They, the, 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 the radio host said, do you ever call people sinners? You know, those old puritanical, he didn't really use this terminology, but it was implying that. Those old puritanical preachers used to talk about sinners, and this 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 modern preacher said, no, I never call people sinners anymore. You know, that's sad. Because if all that you really need is what Plato taught, Plato taught that the ultimate good was a supreme unity. It was an idea. And Plato believed that if he could educate you in good, if you became a good philosopher, you'd be good. And that's what a lot of you believe. In fact, a whole lot of you this week are going to go out, and if someone tells you, I just need to change your thinking a little bit. Some of you that are into sales, you're going to listen to someone that says, man, you've got it inside of you. You're really good. You need to let all that potential out. And we're doing that Sunday morning. Turn on the radio. Turn on the TV. You'll hear a bunch of people telling you, you're good. All you need is a little bit of adjustment. If that's so, then why did the ultimate good, kind Savior have to die. And you need to think really hard about that because it's your only chance to become good. You see, in my own heart, my kindness becomes sentimental. My goodness flows with what the Supreme Court decides, what the majority decide of the people I run with. Man, I'm all over Robin Hood's barn without Jesus. But when I finally am honest and let Jesus expose the reality of Dave Wardson's heart, I find out that I'm filled with hate, filled with badness. And then I come to Mount Calvary and I get down on my knees and I look up at that cross and I see the ultimate kind Savior who loved me so much that he died for you. How about you? I see the ultimate good man who says the only way that bad people can become good is they need to be born again. And I'm going to take all their badness on myself. And I'm going to take their penalty for their sin. And then I'm going to rise again from the dead. And when I rise again from the dead, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and I can totally transform people. If I close today, is that true? Can the Holy Spirit produce kindness and goodness? Are they important attributes? Yesterday morning out at the, the men's breakfast, 
Brian that I went uh, to Paladura Canyon with gave his testimony. Brian shared he was raised in a family over in a little bit north of Fort Worth. His parents didn't know Jesus. They did the best they could. When he was 10 years of age, he talked about the fact that he was molested by another guy, an older guy. He was a little kid. It was very confusing to him. And his identity just crashed. When he got into high school, the marijuana was present. He started doing a whole lot of marijuana. Marijuana lost its kick, so he started doing speed. He got up, you know, did a lot of things sexually and was fooling around. In his mid-20s, he kind of got away from the drugs because he realized this isn't so good. So he started drinking like crazy. He got deep involved with alcohol. He even kind of came to Jesus. He kind of came back to Jesus and kind of, you know, received the Lord Jesus. His parents were beginning to respond to that message of Jesus. But then he fell back, not just into his drinking alcohol, but he got really intensely involved in speed. And the speed had such a dominant control of his heart and his mind that he was actually driving around in his truck with a revolver in his glove compartment with a demon in his head saying, go ahead and kill yourself. And he was debating, should he go to Walmart and buy rounds for his pistol? But he didn't do it. Because Jesus is kind, because Jesus is good, Brian never bought the ammunition for that gun. He ended up in prison. And he called his mom up and says, Mom, I'm in the cell with a committed murderer. He is a three-time convicted murderer. Do you want your son to be in prison in this county jail with this guy? Mom, you need to bail me up. Put up the bail money. You be. And that's what he called her. And Brian's mom, because she had now come to know the Lord Jesus, realized that she'd been kind, quote, quote, to her son Brian for year after year after year. But she wasn't good. She was enabling him by her kindness, by putting up bail, by getting him out to keep destroying himself. And so this dear, precious mind, with all of her motherly kindness, let the Holy Spirit say, Brian, I love you, but no bail. She, he called her and called her. And finally she sent her pastor. And her pastor came to the jail to see Brian and, and talk to him and says, Brian, your mom is not going to bail you out. So stop calling her. Stop calling us at church when your mom is there. Your mom is not going to bail you out because it's a good place where the Lord has you now. And then he told Brian, and Brian, you are good clay that needs to be molded. Brian told a bunch of men yesterday, I didn't have the foggiest idea as I walked back to my cell what he meant by that. But now Brian does. Because Brian had to receive the Lord Jesus in his heart. And when he got out of prison, he made the right decision, a good decision, to go to Straight Street. And he finished their whole program at Straight Street. And now he's been with us almost three quarters of a year. And I want to share with you that a guy that used to swear at his mother and call her a bee, a man that used to be violent and even thought about taking his own life, for four days, bushwhacking on horseback through the Paladora Canyon, even when one of the horses went nuts and almost went upside down on him, he didn't cuss. 
And I saw a man when I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning, because when you've got nothing else to do, you don't need alarm. The sun just comes up in Paladura and you're up. And when I looked at it, the sun would just barely be coming over the rim of Paladura. And I'd see Brian with an open Bible. And he was already reading. And he motivated me. I know God's word in ways that he'll probably never know it. And I don't get up that early to read. And my brother motivated me. Man, Wurtson, you need to get a passion for the word of God. And then all day long on horseback, we not only learned about Mackenzie killing a thousand of Quanah Parker's horses, but we learned... Brian would ask me one question after another about God's word. And he said to Hugh Huber that was with us as they put the horses up one night, he said, Hugh, I can't believe it. This is the first time in all my life I ever camped out without alcohol. And Brian, for the first time in his life, saw the Milky Way. And you laughed and said he probably saw it a million times. He just didn't know it. Brethren and sisters, you live all around you are miracles. On a cold, blizzard, snowy day in Pennsylvania, a Pennsylvania guy and his wife were snuggled up in down covers. The fire was burning down. Their their house was snugly warm. The blizzard was blowing 50-mile-an-hour winds over the meadows and filling it with cold snow. They heard a thump on the door. They heard what they thought was a muffled groan in the wind. What are you going to do? You're going to roll over, snuggle close to your wife, and say, I'm just dreaming? If someone wasn't kind in a Pennsylvania blizzard, one of your pastors wouldn't be here today. Because that man got up out of his warm bed, opened his front door, and Wayne's future daddy that was a polio victim had crawled from the truck that had run out of gas, crawled across the room, the, the lawn, ran out of strength, and fainted on that man's front door. That dear Pennsylvania farmer took that polio young man and dried his clothes and gave him warm soup and put a warm blanket around him. And the next day he went and got him gas. And because of that man's kindness, Lane's daddy lived. You see, the fruit of the Spirit really is important. Lives depend upon your kindness and your goodness this week. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is one. 888-668-7884